Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. What a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter number 40. As Bishop mentioned, a reminder, there will be no service this evening. Um, The last Saturday of this month, we're having our golf outing. I believe that's the 28th. We will have a men's golf outing. There will be breakfast at Hog Heaven at 7.30. Our first tee time is at 9 o'clock. So uh, even if you don't golf, but if you'd like to have some good fellowship, make fun of us, laugh at us, whatever you want to do, uh, we'll welcome that. It's all about fellowship to begin with. <clears throat> I don't know of any of us that play that actually score that well to begin with, so uh, we're, just, we're just there to have some fun. Camp meeting this week. Those of you that were in the meeting Wednesday night, uh, I hope you brought your forms this morning. Uh, please turn them in to me or my wife uh, after service, <clears throat> and uh, we'll take care of that tomorrow. Leaving time tomorrow for those of you that are leaving for camp. Leaving time is what time? 9.30 to leave. Please do not show up at 929 Please start showing up in the parking lot at 9 o'clock so we can load luggage and be ready to leave by 9.30, and uh, the Lord will be with us. Somebody say amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor this morning. Give him a high five. Tell him it's good to be in church. Amen. Psalms chapter 40, verse number 1, the Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. I, uh, as Bishop would say it, I am bringing something out of the archives this morning. Uh, For all of you note takers and good memory folks, uh, this is something that I I have done before. It's been about five years, so uh, if you remember it, you've got an awfully good memory. Because I guarantee you it wasn't good enough five years ago to remember. But I felt a little bit of a prodding from the Lord on this because this is a subject matter that uh, I think we could possibly talk about every day. And uh, while in our human nature it may get old, it doesn't get irrelevant. It's something that we need. And they say that repetition is the mother of all mastery, so we're just going to repeat some things this morning and pray that the Lord would help us today. Would you lift your hands and ask the Lord to minister to us today by his word this morning? One more time, Lord, we come before you today. We ask you, God, for help. 
We ask you for strength. We ask you for anointing. Lord, we're in need of you this morning. Lord, we need you. I need you today, God. Minister, God. Touch these lips, God, to speak your word. Lord, we praise you for it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Lord bless you. You may be seated this morning. That is a courtesy, not a command. My subject matter this morning is waiting. Waiting. How many like to wait? I'm a little shocked this morning. I can't believe so many of you are shaking your head no. There's a couple of you that I really thought you'd really just shake your head yes. Waiting is not the strong point of human nature. If you are to wait, now just, just to clarify the airwaves here, I don't like to wait either. Uh, so I'm not up here uh, judging you. You answered like I thought you would. If waiting is to be involved in anything that we do, it requires a certain amount of patience. Patience is a foreign word to some of us. To some, it might even seem like a cuss word. Amen. Patience. How many times were you ever told by your parents or someone around you, patience? I can remember getting antsy as a child and while, while patience, and if he ever listens to this podcast, I love you, Dad. But while patience is not my dad's strong point either, I can remember hearing the words, patience, son. Patience, son. What? Patience, what's that? I want it now. I want to open my Christmas present now. I want to open the big one. You know, it's three days before Christmas Eve. The big one's wrapped. I want that. Patience. No, no, you're not, you're not understanding me. I want that one. Patience. The lack of patience often <clears throat> stirs up a great number of arguments among people and circumstances and in return proves to aggravate matters even more than they would be if we just had some patience. So what is patience? Patience is defined as the act or quality of waiting for a long time without discontent. And you, you've got to understand the definition there. If you are waiting and complaining the entire time, that does not fall in suit with the definition of patience. Another definition of patience is the suffering of afflictions, pain, calamity, being provoked, that's probably the one that we suffer the most, or other evil with a calm, unruffled temper. Somebody's about to run the aisles and shout hallelujah, I can feel it. Endurance without murmuring. Lord, have mercy. We can stop right now, say thank you, Jesus, amen, go home. We've heard the word. That's a convicting word. That's a convicting word that comes from the dictionary. Of what patience really... And I really didn't come to talk about patience necessarily, but it's kind of the springboard for where we're headed. Patience 
requires a lot of inner strength. It requires effort. Let me tell you, you will never have patience by accident. You just don't accidentally have patience. It cannot physically happen. Patience is not... Glad my wife isn't in here this morning. Maybe she won't hear me through the door. Patience is not my greatest virtue. I know that's a shock to everybody. But it's, it's not my greatest virtue. Now, I'm a lot better than I used to be. All right? Now, there's where that, that human nature self-justification comes out that we all like to do. Well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I'm not where I need to be. Can somebody relate to that this morning? So it's important to understand that if I'm going to demonstrate patience with someone, the relationship I have with them determines this. Whether it's right or wrong, that's the determining factor. Given the right situation and conditions, my patience level, I'm talking about me right now, my patience level will be far better with someone I know versus someone I don't know. Psalmist writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He wasn't waiting on his wife to pick out her clothes. He wasn't waiting on the traffic light to turn green. He wasn't waiting, he wasn't waiting on the person in front of him to speed up to the speed limit. Now, I know some of you may have a problem with that one. He wasn't waiting on the opportunity to pass. He wasn't feeling the road rage of impatience. He wasn't, he wasn't waiting. He was waiting on God. While he was waiting on God, if we reflect back to the definition of patience, David was waiting on God for a long time without discontent. David was waiting on God for a long time with a calm, unruffled temper, a demonstrating endurance without murmuring. Now let me just ask you a question this morning. This isn't in my notes, but how often is it that we are willing to wait on God without asking questions? How willing are we to wait on God when we enter a calamity or a circumstance that just rocks our world, we woke up this morning with a smile on our face and by lunchtime it seems like all hell is broken loose and then by, by 3 p.m. we're saying, God, why? God, why? God, why? David said, I waited patiently on the Lord. Now, I'm not, I'm not declaring to you this morning that it's wrong to ask God why. Sometimes maybe we need to seek clarification and understanding, but in those circumstances, that's not the spirit or intent of our why. If we were to translate our why in that moment, it's how could this happen to me? Why would you do this to me? What have I done to you? What am I doing wrong? Right? So David... Is waiting on God. 
Let's talk about this for a moment because it's, it's worth noting that our relationship with God should not just be something that we represent on Sundays. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. How, this is a rhetorical question, I certainly don't want anyone to answer this out loud, but how would you interpret your belief in your bishop or your pastor if the extent of their spiritual relationship with God was only demonstrated when they were at church? That would be, I can answer that for you this morning, that would be questionable leadership. I can answer that freely because that's not the case. That would be leadership that we would have to ponder and wonder, huh, what are they doing on Monday? What are they doing on Tuesday? I, I can tell you this morning that our spiritual leadership, they aren't here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Monday evening at the bar. Amen. They, they live with the integrity that they represent here. Because you see, coming to church does not make me a Christian. What I am doing right now is not making me a Christian. It's the Christian that I am that is being demonstrated right now. And if I am waiting on coming to church to make me a Christian, then I am no better than parking myself down on a garage floor and saying, make me a Porsche, make me a Ferrari. It's never going to happen. I've got to demonstrate with my lifestyle through waiting on God, worshiping God, and having a relationship with God in times when I'm not in His house. It's about relationship. Now, I hesitate to make this next statement because I fear that we don't even do it enough. But having a relationship with God is not demonstrated by how much we shout. Now, this is an apostolic church. We believe in demonstrative worship. We believe that the Bible supports our lifestyle and the way that we live, the way we worship, the way we sing, the way we praise. So I, I am, I'm in no means saying that we need to calm down and that we're too loud or that we're too rowdy. Far from the truth. Matter of fact, we're polar opposite of what we were 15 years ago. That's not what I come to talk about, though. However, that does not give me relationship. I'm about to feel anointing now. You can come to church and you can worship, you can shout, you can run aisles, and you can talk in tongues and still be lost. Well, how is that? Because anything can happen to anyone and through anyone when they get in the presence of Almighty God. It's recorded in the book of Acts 
They received the Holy Ghost, turned right around and started laying hands on people and prophesying. They weren't clean yet. Their lifestyle hadn't changed yet. Put it in modern day terms, they still look like Harley Davidson driving, cigarette smoking, drug snorting, alcohol sipping people. But they just received the Holy Ghost. It was King Saul that after he lost his anointing, the Bible says he got into the company of prophets. What did he do? He began to prophesy. He wasn't prophesying because he was right with God. He was prophesying because he was in the presence of God. So, worship is important. And if you take away from that that worship's not important, you need to see me after church. Because that's not the point. But worshiping God in and of itself does not build relationships. Relationship is built one day at a time. You that have been married for any extended period of time, I hope you know by now. If not, we've got another subject to talk about. But you should know by now that your relationship with your spouse is not built because you said yes at an altar. You don't declare yes and have a preacher say amen and then, boom, I've got a relationship with my spouse. Your relationship with your spouse is built on arguments and disagreements and bad days and days where you can't stand each other but you still choose to love each other. Hear me now. That's what builds relationships. If you've got a relationship with a true friend, it's a true friend that's going to tell you when you're wrong. It's a true friend that's going to make you mad. It's the same with God. God's not always going to tickle your ears and make you feel wonderful. But we live in a sensitive generation that wants everything to just be nice. We live in a pansy society that says, if you're not nice to me, you're mean to me, and it's hate speech. Let me tell you something. The Bible is still relevant to our lifestyle. Regardless of what California says, regardless of what New York says, regardless of what any other uh, liberal area of media says, the Bible is not antiquated, the Bible is not ancient, and it is not out of relevancy for this hour. We need a relationship that is built on the Word of God and on the presence of God. We need the Spirit of God in our life because that's how we identify with who we are. I am a child of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Who are we? I am more than just what you see on Sundays. Matter of fact, we should say it this way. 
what, for good or bad, this is a correct statement whether it's good or bad, what you see in each other on Sunday is a direct reflection of how that person lives on Monday through Saturday. Well, hallelujah. I've missed several weeks of church. Last thing I want to do is come back in and become somebody's enemy. Let me tell you something. This isn't in my notes, but I feel the spirit prodding on this. If you're having a hard time worshiping on Sundays, it may be because you're not worshiping when you're not here on Sunday. If I'm worshiping him Monday through Saturday, worshiping him on Sunday collectively should be easy. If I'm having difficulty worshiping him on Sunday and tapping into the vein of the Spirit when we're here together, then it possibly could be that I'm not doing that by myself. Which begs the question, who are we and what do we believe? Do you know what you believe? Because there is a definitive difference between what we believe and what others believe. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a line to cross. And that line is not in the sand. It's not going to wash away. There is a line to cross and God's looking for people with the intestinal fortitude to say, I'm willing to cross the line. Amen. We don't do things other people do. That's by choice. Nobody's making me live this lifestyle. Nobody's got a gun to my head. People who live this lifestyle are not rednecks and idiots. Pardon me for being blunt this morning. But living a spirit-filled lifestyle is the Word of God. There is no education that's going to take that away. Nothing can separate you from the love of God but you. So what do we believe? Who are we? How do we compare? Why is it? Why is it? This has been burning in my spirit for several days. Why is it that we preach difference? Now, now, this, Lord help me. This is going to come out cold. It's going to come out rude, and I don't mean it that way. I just don't know any other way to say it. Uh, so you're just going to have to bear with me this morning. But why is it we preach difference and we believe in difference until someone's laying on their deathbed? I knew that would be cold. But we're willing to toe the line of difference, of repentance, Baptism in Jesus' name and infilling of the Holy Ghost as a biblical necessity to get to heaven until we have a family member or a friend on their deathbed. And then we want to accept the idea that we can just talk them through salvation and they've never been baptized and they've never received the Holy Ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me, let me say it clear this morning and I say it carefully and with as much love as I can give that, that the circumstances of life... Do not change the word of God or the belief system on which our salvation is planted. 
There is a real difference between us and the world. And if we don't believe that, if getting to deathbed salvation changes our mind, then we might as well not be baptized to begin with. I'll move on. Paul David Hewson, he's known by the stage name of Bono, lead singer of the rock group U2. He made a declaration in recent years that it was time for all of Abraham's children to come together. That the Jews and the Muslims and the Christians must all come together and put away their differences and be as one. Let me tell you something this morning. That will never happen. It will never happen. Not because of hate speech. Not because of bitterness. But because there is a real and distinct difference between the lifestyles and the biblical acceptance of each group. It didn't happen in the Bible. How can we expect it to happen today? That is a politically correct perspective that is anti-God and anti-church. And we have to be careful to make sure that that spirit doesn't creep into this building to where that we are willing to accept things that are mainstream just because we want to be nice. Listen, if they come and lock us up like they did the Apostle Paul, it doesn't change the Word of God. Right is right and wrong is still wrong. And out of Abraham's children, out of the Judaic group, out of the Muslim group, and out of the Christian group, the apostolic church is the only ones who worship Jesus as the one true God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand what we believe today. We need to know who we are today. Because Jesus is God. If you don't believe it, die and ask him. If they call him a great teacher, they're undermining him. If they just call him a prophet, they're undermining him. If they just simply say he had good things to say, they're undermining who he was and who he is. For the Bible declares that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, not Muslim, not Muhammad, not Moses, not David, not the Messiah without a name, that Jesus Christ is Lord. When God was manifest in the flesh, He was Father and Son at the same time. He was the root and the branch at the same time. Rose and the lily at the same time. He's the shepherd and the lamb. He's the door and the sheepfold. He's the first and the last. He's the alpha and omega beginning and end at the same time. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, all at the same time. For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are complete in him for he looked at one man and he said if you've seen me you have seen the father for I and my father are one 
For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. John recorded it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same in the beginning was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. Moses said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. All at the same time. He's God. That's the God we serve. That's the God we believe in. We need to understand clearly today and emphatically that we are not backing down off of the word of God that Jesus is the, is the mighty God in Christ. That he is the one God robed in flesh. That he is the one who was, who is, and is to come the almighty God all at the same time. He is not three distinct persons but he is the father of creation. He is the son in redemption. He is the Holy Ghost in the church and we need an outpouring of the spirit of God in this hour to awaken us to understand that while I'm waiting patiently on him the Holy Ghost is about to fall and there are great mighty wonderful things of God that can and should be done in his presence oh could we lift our hands and magnify him this morning I'm waiting on the Lord today so what do we believe We believe in the doctrinal message of the one God in Christ. We are not Jesus only, we are Jesus everything. We believe in receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost as they did in the upper room. We believe in baptism by immersion in the name of of Jesus Christ. The formula in which you are baptized does matter. It doesn't matter because I say it matters. It matters because the Bible says. That we are baptized. Acts 2.38 says that we are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission or removal of sins. Why would I want to be baptized in any other spoken word when there is no other spoken word illustrated in holy text that removes sin? Acts 4.12 even declares, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be. He's talking about the name of Jesus. We believe there's power in the name of Jesus. That's why we pray over our food in Jesus' name. That's why we send our kids to school in Jesus' name. That's why we lay hands on the sick in Jesus' name. That's why everything in accordance with the word of God, everything we do in word or deed, we do it all in the name of Jesus.
Some people struggle Monday through Saturday not because God isn't real. Not because they don't have enough teaching and preaching to guide them. Because they have not sold themselves on the idea that that's the only way. Let me tell you something. As long as you've got an escape clause, you'll never commit. As long as you've got an alternate route designed in your head of, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll go down here. You will never commit to the word of God. My, my very own papa, my grandfather, my, my dad's dad, never committed. Went to church. My dad was a young man, but was preaching before my, my papa got sick. He got sick as a young man, died as a young man. Bishop, he would sit on the pew. I've heard my dad tell the story more times than I can count. And my dad would preach Holy Ghost infilling. And he'd sit there and he'd just look. And he would watch. And he would do nothing. He did that for years. Until he got sick. I'm talking about my own family now, so don't get mad at me. But it's amazing the perspective that changes for people when they get sick. What if God didn't grant you enough mercy to last that long? Because you see, there's a lot of people in this world that I believe, I believe are just holding out for old age. I'll just live my life the way that I want to, and then whenever I'm old, I'll get saved before I die. What if you don't make it that long? What if God's plan for you isn't to make it to 85? What kind of risk are you gambling? So he got sick with Parkinson's disease in his 40s. And before he was out of his 40s, he was bedridden. And ended up being bedridden for 11 years before he died. And it got into the place, Bishop, where that he would come to the altar and he would pray. But sickness had ravaged his body so severely. Nothing ever happened. I'm not here to judge this morning and I'm not here to tell you where he did or did not go I'm just, I can only tell you what the word of God says and that word is true whether it's my family or not all I can say is what David said is that he's in the hands of a great God but I will declare to you this morning that if we are going to believe that what we believe is a necessity then it is a necessity. And there are no circumstances that make it optional. Which requires commitment. 
total, undeniable commitment. No back out clause. No escape plan. No alternate route. No GPS recalculating. There's one way to God. So talking about who we are and what we believe and in whom we believe is something that we should be comfortable with. There should be no maturity level in God that causes the excitement to leave because we're still talking about heaven. Sometimes the reason we don't stay excited is because we don't put time and effort into our relationship. Think of it in terms of your marital or your spousal relationship. Sometimes you go through valleys of life where maybe it's not as exciting as it used to be. The first question in counseling to you should be, well, what are you doing? Because we always want to blame the other person. Responsibility usually rests on the person who's doing the talking. What are you doing to maintain excitement? What are you doing to accept responsibility for your actions? The same thing in God. If my, Sister Margaret, if my relationship with God wanes to the point that it's dull and boring, do I really have justification to blame God? The the very one who created the universe, who, who painted the stars in the sky with his fingertip, the creative wonder of God, do I really believe that he's dull and boring? He's probably the most exciting creature there ever was. So if it's dull and boring, it may be my fault. I may not be putting (coughs) as much into the relationship as I needed. David, the Bible says, waited patiently on the Lord. I'm coming close to landing the plane this morning. In Hebrew, this translates as the statement. One commentary says that it translates, in waiting I waited. I did a little digging this morning. I did a little little bit of reading in the Hebrew Bible specifically to to study that translation. And that's what one commentary said. And Bishop, I just couldn't find it. I just couldn't see the literal translation of waiting, I waited. And, And at first I was a little perplexed by that. And I kept reading and kept looking at dictionaries and studying the interpretation. And then I finally realized that the literal translation of uh Brother Brian, can you put uh, Psalms 40 and verse number 1 back up there, please? It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. That statement in Hebrew literally says, in hope, in hoping, I hoped. Now you can connect the dots between hope and wait, the anticipation. But in hoping, I hoped for the Lord. Now, what is hope? Hope, we can move over to Hebrews chapter 11 and see that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. The word hope in Hebrews 11, translated in Hebrew, comes from a similar root word that's conjugated as desire. So if faith is desire of things hoped for, in Psalm 40 and 1, I'm hoping for the Lord. Where? My desire, let's connect the dots here, my desire is in the Lord. 
So what, what, what are you saying this morning? I'm saying that if you're going to wait patiently on the Lord, it's more than a now on lay me down to sleep prayer. It's more than only talking to God when I have a problem. If I'm going to wait patiently on Him, my desire has to be in Him. How is my desire in Him? I can only have a desire in God if I first have a relationship with God. My desire for my wife is deepened by my relationship with her. Right? If I don't have a relationship with her, there's no desire. David also wrote elsewhere, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So it's important that we understand this morning that, that God is not a standby crutch. Now, he's, he's, he's gracious, and there's plenty of people that's treated him like that, and they only, they only approach him when they have a problem, and he's gracious to deliver and to save and to heal and to, to help them out of their situations, and all that's great. I can't judge it. He's God. I'm not. It's a good thing, but that's just the way he is. But at no time does he have to do that. <coughs> David says I waited patiently some people only get serious for God when life has gotten serious with them and they want to come to God I'm not, I'm not making fun I'm not trying to be critical or judgmental this morning but the reality is this there are people that will only come to church when life has handed them a problem and they want to come to God, they want to worship, they want to pray, they want to cry, and boom, get God's favor. And what God is asking for is relationship. It's, will you walk with me? Will you walk with me when things are good? And will you walk with me when things are bad? Will you commit to me when things aren't up to your expectations? Newsflash, maybe a little bit of a confession here this morning. I don't get everything from God I ask for. As a matter of fact, and Lord, if I'm wrong, please correct me, but I think I could probably say in some cases, I get less from God of what I ask for than what I get. Because not everything I ask for does He think I need. So in relationship, there comes a trust factor. And if... if <clears throat> again looking at spousal relationship because there's such a direct correlation. If I quit on my wife just because she didn't give me everything I wanted, is that love? No. Is it desire? No. Is it commitment? No. Is it relationship? No. It's selfishness is what it is. If I quit on God or if I only want to talk to him whenever I need him, 
I don't have a relationship with him. I've got an introductory acquaintance with him where that I'm just now getting to understand who he is. And he knows enough about me already to know he's waiting on me. <clears throat> it's not a single momentary act of expectation. It's continual desire. It's continual hope. I waited patiently on the Lord. Waiting in this context does not mean doing nothing. When you don't know what to do, you keep doing what you're doing until you know what to change, where to go, how to go, when to go, and who to go with. Let me tell you one of the scariest things you can do, leaders, leaders in the church that's here this morning, one of the, one of the worst things you can do is when you don't know what to do is to quit doing what you're doing. When you're frustrated and things aren't working out the way that you think they should and things aren't, going the, things aren't booming the way that you hoped that they would, the worst thing you can do for both you, those you're leading, and your spiritual walk with God is to quit. So, well, I'm not quitting God. I'm just quitting what I'm doing. It's still a mistake. Because when we free ourselves up from the responsibilities God's given us, then we open the door to other things to do that aren't of God. And I've got 43 years of observation to tell you that that's true. Because nearly every person that quits teaching a Sunday school class, quits leading a youth group, quits doing whatever else it is that we do around here, all of those things that we do there are important. And people who quit that thinking they can still sit on the pew and stay saved are usually mistaken. Not that we do those things to stay saved, but if our motive isn't right for walking away from it, then we've opened the door to our enemy. When all we need to do is be, be patient and wait on the Lord. 22 years of youth pastoring, I can tell you right now, I wanted to walk away more times than I could count. I know you understand. Because people are frustrating. Sorry to tell you, people are frustrating. You could say preachers are frustrating. You'd probably be right. I can remember going from a youth group of 30 to 2. And then not even knowing on any given Friday night if those two was going to show up or not. How do you prepare? You, wait, you feel like you're wasting your time. You, you, you waste your time. You dive in with your heart and soul and you get there and there's nobody there. You look at your family and say amen and go home. You want to quit so bad. If Bishop had quit every time he was frustrated, we still wouldn't be here. If Pastor quit every time he was frustrated, we wouldn't be here. Tell you, the soul-saving business is one of the most misunderstood businesses there is. People expect us to be here, but they don't want to be here. I, I would almost even dare say that the very people who might possibly be upset that we're not having church tonight aren't even faithful to Sunday night to begin with. Come on now. We need to wait. Wait doesn't mean do nothing. Wait means you keep doing what you're doing. 
with a focus and a determination that says, God, I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I may not understand, but I'm still walking. I'm still walking. I may not be leaping. I may not be walking yards, yardstick widths of space and cadence, but I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. And I'm going to keep walking. And I'm going to keep walking. Why? Because he brought me up out of a horrible pit. Why? Because he established my goings. He put me on a rock. What's that mean? I've got a firm foundation. I can stand on it and nothing's going to change me. The enemy can speak against me. He can push against my walk with God, but as long as I'm standing on that rock, I need to listen to one voice and one voice only, and that's the voice of God. And I listen to that voice through my man of God. Psalms 40 and verse number 3 says, And he hath put a new song in my mouth. I'm, I'm closing this morning. Stand with me if you would, please. Even praise unto our God. He hath put a new song. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, New song. <coughs> Put a new song in my mouth. We often talk about this being an actual song. Maybe it can be, but the translation goes deeper. The meaning here is, He hath given me a new or fresh occasion for praise. My wife and I try to get away once a year on our anniversary celebrate, spend time together. It's important for the relationship. Equal to that, in our walk with God, it's important that we have a daily renewal with Him. And we allow Him a chance to give us a new occasion for praise. You see, I'm not just praising Him the same way and for the same reasons, Brother Terry, that I did when I first repented. There's all kinds of matters and occasions of life that's interrupted me along the way. I've got a new reason to praise Him. In my own personal life, I hit rock bottom a week ago. I'm not at rock bottom anymore. I've got a new reason to praise Him. I've got a fresh occasion for praise because I've got something to live for. Not too many people know this, but one of the doctors that came in said, in two months we need to take another CAT scan and make sure you don't have cancer. First time anybody's ever mentioned that word to me. I emotionally hit rock bottom for several days and no one knew it but my wife. A few days ago when I was at my doctor, I mentioned that to him because I needed some clarification. I needed to know what's his concerns. He's the specialist. And he said, I'm not worried about that. I've looked at your scans. I looked at one a year ago. He said, you're normal. You're not high risk. We'll get this taken care of. And I just said, thank you, Jesus. That's a new and fresh occasion for praise. Whatever it is that you're going through in your life, every day God's given you fresh mercy. God's giving you fresh grace. God's answering prayers you don't even know you've prayed. 
And he's granting you a new and fresh occasion for praise. In closing this morning, I wonder if we could lift our hands right now and just surrender to God in a season of worship and say, God, fresh praise coming your way right now. I magnify you. Oh, could you lift your voice up to him right now? Jesus, I magnify you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Hallelujah. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Magnify you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful God He is. David's deliverance was so great that a new expression of thanks was in order. You ever had something happen in your life that was just so wonderful you just almost couldn't even express yourself? That's what happened to David here. That's what happens to us when he puts a new song in our mouth. Waiting. If you're waiting this morning, keep waiting. But in your waiting, keep doing. Keep praising. Keep acting. Keep leading. Keep walking. Don't change anything. If you don't know what to change, don't change it. I believe it was Moses that said, stand still and see the salvation of God. Sometimes we've just got to wait. And that waiting is important this morning. Isn't the Lord good? Amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord this morning. What a privilege. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.